from the frozen lands of Minnesota. Two adventurers, Adam and usually Dave, battle the harshest internet connections to bring you another episode of the Digital Soup Podcast. Their opinions are unqualified, but the conversations are good. Welcome back. It is episode 196 of the Digital Soup Podcast. Hope you guys had a great 4th of July, great Independence Day. Hopefully you've listened to our episode last week. I'm usually Dave. Joining me as always is my good friend, Adam. How are you doing, man? I'm doing aight. Aight, yeah. So <laughs> we we did something last week a little different. We had no questions because we had a little longer list and we kind of had fun with it. So we thought, let's try it again. Oh, we've got and one big question. Yeah, basically that's it. We're still answering questions you didn't ask, but it's one big question. This week we've got a a kind of uh, crazy one. Uh, you know, looking at this, this is one we found after we recorded last week. It's the top ten jobs that have disappeared, and I've got to say, some of these have some some pretty crazy <laughs> names and <laughs> titles. Yeah, 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 some of these are are kind of kind of bonkers. Um, but yeah, it's, <laughs> we thought, why not? Let's do this. Have a little fun with it. So I suppose, unless, do you have anything else you want to get to, or should we jump right in to number 10? Actually, I've got kind of a long story from this week. Uh, no, let's just jump into number 10. <laughs> Alrighty. <laughs> uh, <laughs> sounds good then. Good story. No, number 10 of the top 10 jobs that have disappeared. <laughs> this is the knocker uppers. Now, any guesses before we talk about what this is? If someone told you, this is what I do for a profession. I'm a knocker upper. <laughs> uh, Professional father. Yeah. What What do you think that is? Sperm donor? Maybe. <laughs> well, I don't know. A, a, a terrible doctor. name for it, but yeah. Yeah. Like, like some kind of doctor that works in artificial insemination. I don't know. Well, <laughs> it's nothing quite so exciting as that. So in order to find out, we have to go back in time a little bit. And what this is... Um, back in a time before an alarm clock was around early England, industrialized parts of England, they used to, instead of an alarm clock, rely on what was called a knocker upper. So essentially what this is factories and mines back then, they weren't the best working conditions. They probably were kind of, you know, brutal to work in, in all reality, and they had a big interest in getting their workers on the line and to work as fast and early as possible, usually 6 a.m. or earlier. Problem being, of course, these people lived a hard life. And so they'd get home, probably celebrate with a little beverage or two, spend some family time just to kind of find some joy in the day. And they would sleep in and, and miss work, you know, and get there late. Yeah, you don't want to miss work. No, and it, you know you get there late when you have a whole assembly line relying on you. That presents a problem. So to remedy this, these companies, these big factories and mines, they would employ people who would walk the very narrow streets uh, where their workers lived because these people tended to basically live in the same communities, and these people that would have that would walk the streets would have big long sticks 
or sometimes pea shooters, they said, <laughs> to basically <laughs> reach up with a stick and knock on the window, bedroom windows of their workers to wake them up on time. Very pleasant sounding. A knocker upper. Because most <laughs> of these, for whatever reason, the bedrooms were typically on the second floor. That, oh. I mean, <laughs> this is a knocker upper is the human alarm clock. Human alarm clock. You know, I'd, I'd go sleep in an interior room. Yeah, forget about this. Well, the question I had, though, when I looked at this was, all right, so you got these people employed in the factory that in mines. They can't seem to get up on time and get to work. So we're going to have other people go there and wake them up. Who's waking those people up? Mm. Who's waking the knocker uppers up? That's a good question. I almost it's just an said, endless who, cycle. Yeah, they who's start, knocking these guys up? Yeah, as everyone goes to bed, it's just a shift every hour. I, I almost <laughs> said, "Who's knocking the knocker uppers up?" <laughs> Nobody should be getting knocked up there. No, no, <laughs> not with a long so, stick in the street. Yeah, <laughs> my pea shooter. Pea shooter. <laughs> Goodness gracious! Oh, that could be taken a bad way too. I suppose it could, but oof. Oh, well, let's see if that one's worse than this one. Number nine, rower <laughs> women, which is yes. um, a bunch of uh, a bunch of solely female profession. Um, th- these ladies would use long oar propelled boats. Uh, they would okay. use long oars to propel boats. So, mm-hmm. um, <clears throat> until World War One, the Swedes used an ingenious way to quickly traverse the many waterways that blocked their access to the islands of the Stockholm Archipelago. Water taxis. Mm. So it's not it's, it's not so obsolete, you may think, but this was solely a female profession. I wonder and they why. only used the long oar propelled boats. They were challenged by a group of un this is like a footnote in parentheses. They yeah. were challenged by a group of unmarried women from Dalarna who used newfangled paddle wheel boats. Ooh. Oh man. <laughs> so the advent of the steam age and further innovations led to the decline and eventual end of the traditional role of the rower women. Hmm. hmm. Yeah, and I, I see a, a note on the end here says uh Venezuelan general Francisco de Miranda said in 1787. They were good women who roll like devils. <laughs> no, I have, wonder. They could have probably outrow a college rowing team. Yeah. Well, you know, what's interesting is because the, the way that they, they have a picture here. Yeah. And it kind of reminds you of um, the guys in, in Italy. The, uh, what do they call those? Gondolas? No. Yeah, the gondola. Yeah. Like the people. boats. Yeah. And they, they seem like they're rowing, but they may not necessarily be like paddling like we're used to. Almost wonder, I'm almost wondering if they had long poles that they were pushing off on the bottom. Well, these are definitely paddles. Yeah. It, it's but weird, I, though. I don't know. I wonder why only women. That's my question, too. Because honestly, I mean, he's got to be some really strong women. Maybe that maybe it just like it started off and it was only women and, and no guys wanted to join. They're like, I'm not doing that. Only the women are rowing. <laughs> yeah. And well, then the unless, women are like, We're the best rowers ever. Get that wheelboat out of here. Well, here's the thing though. This this could be, you know, in all seriousness, what it was. If they were needing to row people to row across to these islands, it could be that they were getting men over there to work in whatever, if there's mines or you know, whatever they were doing. And so the women were the only ones available. Yeah, it's possible at, at any time of the day to basically sit there with these boats and yeah, there, there, yeah, there had to command. be a reason. I just picture, uh, 
you know, when you see in the movies and stuff, well, I'm sure it's like that in real life too. New York city taxi drivers, you know, all lined up everywhere and yelling at each other. And instead you've got these women in, in rowboats all over these waterways yelling at each (laughs) other. Water taxis. Yeah. (laughs) Water taxis just scooting all over the place. But I imagine, yeah, like they said, the steam age and, and, you know, powered boats kind (laughs) of took a hit on that profession, but I think so. I wonder if those happen anywhere else in the world or if this was pretty much just a uh, a Swedish thing. Well, it's hard to say. Hmm. Interesting. Sounds like maybe it was just Sweden based on this, but yeah. you never know. Hmm. I think there's a lot of roles in different cultures that we don't know about as Americans that, yeah. you know, this is, this is the females do this and the males do this and, right. you know, kind of traditionally. Well, in, in, in those say. days, pre-World War One. You know, it's it's certainly not to say a lot of people think that, oh, that was when the women had no place in the world. It's not really true. Yes, there was the the women's rights movement that had to come in, but women played a vital role in in a lot of societies. When you look at it, as far as the medicine, as far as a lot of those things at times, too, where because the men were away hunting and working, you know, depending on how early you go, you know, maybe hunter gatherer times and tribes or whatever. A lot of times the women, you know, the, the day-to-day survival of that village or, or camp or tribe or whatever it was, was left to the women to do. Sure. All of your clothing, everything else they needed to to stay warm and, and just survive. <laughs> yep. I mean, it's, yeah, the the whole, all the, all the tasks that provide for survival are, you mm-hmm. know, are covered when you have right. all, you know, who knows? Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Well. Number eight, and uh, you know this one. Uh, some people may roll their eyes a little bit when I when I say this, but this job that has disappeared is called a computer. <laughs> I got one on my desk right now. What are you talking about? <laughs> yep. So according to this article, and I guess we should have mentioned it. This is a article on Listverse, um, Listverse.com by C.J. Phillips. But according to this article. It says, too many people are enslaved by their tech. Apple, Google, social media, Microsoft. Never in the whole history of mankind have we been so reliant on such a small number of companies. So what if there was a true neo-Luddite revolt? revolt? What would take the place of all the ubiquitous devices on which we rely? Well, back in the day, all computing was done by hand. So they would have... Human computers. Human computers. Yeah, these people would sit in a room do, performing just hours and hours of endless calculations and everything else. In fact, NASA actually relied on human computers at, uh, up until a certain point there. Sure. I mean, can you imagine like, hey, we're going to send someone to the moon or wherever, but we're not going to use any actual computers as we know them today in the electronics, no navigation, none of that kind of stuff. Everything mm-hmm. is figured out by hand. Yep. Long oh, calculations. Some... Oh, my goodness. And interestingly enough, if you look at like the History Channel, when they talk about NASA using human computers, this was all women. Yeah. At, at least based on what I'm seeing here, this is the, I'm, I'm sure there were male mathematicians there, mm-hmm. but um, these ladies contributed massive, massive amounts to this whole program right. uh, with the space program. Um, basically, from what I could see here, there, for instance, 
Barbara Barbie Canwright joined California's JPL, that's the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, in 1939, and she was the first female human computer. So her job was to calculate anything from how many rockets were needed to make a plane airborne to what kind of rocket propellants were needed to propel a spacecraft. It was all done by hand. Yeah, and this is just all by taking data, analyzing it, crunching the numbers, and saying, oh, you'll need 47.39 rockets. (laughs) And and she was responsible for determining the thrust-to-weight ratio and comparing performance of engines um, Hmm. in order to lift a 14,000-pound bomber into the air after the attack on Pearl Harbor. I mean, this was important stuff. Right. And these ladies were brilliant. Can you, I, I mean... Let me let me put this in perspective. I, I I don't have a very like super stressful job for a day job. There are moments, <laughs> any job's gonna have moments where you get a little stressed out. But even on those days with your day job where you feel like, oh man, I'm just stressed out. Today was hard. I don't know that there's much that can compare. I mean, there's some stuff, surgeons mm-hmm. and things like that, but there's not much that can compare to saying, hey, the world is on the line. We need to get this bomber up in the air so we can defend ourselves. Hey, what was her name? Betty? No. What, what did you say it was? Oh, that, uh, yeah, Barbie. Barbie. Yep. We need you to tell us uh, how, what do we need here to get this thing up and flying as fast as possible. That's some stress. Oh, yeah. Holy moly. And the contribution to computing just in general. So one of the most popular programming languages in the entire world was C++. Now, mm-hmm. I, I think C Sharp is up there now. There's, But a lot of these programs are based around what we call the C language. Okay. And another one of these human calculators, Sue Finley, um, was hired in 1958 to work on trajectory computations for lo- rocket launches. Hmm. And she and uh, and other early human computers, their legacy is is just like cemented here because um, their hand calculations led uh, sent the Voyager to explore the solar system, and they also wrote the C and C plus plus programs that launched the first rover. And help put the U.S. help the U.S. put a man on the moon. So it's pretty oh, incredible geez. stuff. You know, did they actually create the C language, or did they just write in that language? Oof, that's, that's that's interesting. That's my question. Yeah, mm-hmm. I don't know. You know, this is a, a very superficial thing, but I'm looking at this photo on this list that uh, history history dot com provides for this article. These women are sitting here at these desks. It's just a plain like writing desk. And they've, they've all got these big machines, which at first glance look like an oversized rotary telephone. And, but there's some mm-hmm. kind of giant calculator or something where they're doing all these. I, I want to, I would love to, to see one of those machines, you know, up close and personal, just to see what all it was doing, what it was showing, what they were able, you know, cause these calculations they were doing, it wasn't like just a, a simple, you know, dollar store calculator. These were high end things. I'd love to see some of that equipment. Yeah, it's that'd be that'd be really cool to see that. Oof, wild. Yeah, so, well, thankfully she didn't. She didn't inv- looking at this, she didn't invent the C language, but man, brilliant. So yeah, I, that that's one job. Probably a lot of people relieved that now a machine can do it. To just for the stress levels of it all, you know. Mm. I mean, I'm sure these these women and the people that did this, I'm sure were. Uh, thrilled to be doing it i'm i'd have to assume like working for nasa for example doing something like that they probably were paid well for their time but that that i guess hard to say but 
I mean, who it, knows? Yeah. Having the ability now Doubt to have it. some of the, yeah, yeah, it is that age. So who knows? But yep, yep. I imagine though, these, a lot of these women would have much rather been involved in the, the research and development side of stuff than having to sit here crunching numbers. But yeah, I don't know. I don't know. If, hmm. I couldn't do that. That'd be, no, that'd be tough. I couldn't but either. It also takes a certain kind of mind frame to be able to do that kind of work and yeah. do it accurately. Exactly. Fast, especially yeah. under pressure. So that's the thing. Yeah. The speed yep. under pressure and accuracy. Hmm. Yeah. Something. Speaking of speed under pressure, <laughs> number seven, <laughs> priest hunters. Yeah. This what? is wild. So this entry is very era specific, but Queen Mary the first has a rightly bloody reputation. However, that of her younger sister, Elizabeth the first is even, is generally positive in the public, in the public conscience. I can barely read consciousness <laughs> where Queen Mary burned Protestants at the stake. Elizabeth sought to right the, ju- the injustice during her reign by placing a bounty on the heads of Catholic priests. Jeez. She sent out men to hunt down the priests. <laughs> Job done. Peace restored. This article says that is crazy that the one queen is known for being ruthless and bloody Queen Mary. Cause she's burning people at the stake. But the other one is, is, known as being righteous and you know fair because she was just placing bounties on the heads of catholic priests so did they split it up okay mary you're taking the protestants yeah taking the catholics um one of the ploys was to build a priest hole in a friendly household (laughs) where the priest could hide from the searching hunters jeez yeah that's like stuff yeah no kidding what were they going after him for he was flung into prison before being tortured and put to death oh that's nice Mm. Society yeah. will often create a folk devil or an individual or group who can be blamed for a population-level anxiety. Hmm. Wow. In Elizabethan England, Jesuit priests held that title. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder, I'm trying to think of that time period, what was going on. If that was... <laughs> not a lot of... <laughs> yeah, nothing good. Not a lot of fun by the sound of it. No, and I'm trying to think, you know, if, if that's happening and they're going after the priests and in, in the Catholic religion. Yeah. What so was the dominant, late 1500s here? Yeah. What would have been the dominant religion at that time that they would have been opposed to? I am not sure. Hmm. That's what I'm trying to think if that would have been. Well, yeah. Cause what did they, boy, I am trying, I'm drawing a blank here, but I, I, well, yeah, that, that's interesting that cause obviously so, the Catholic, Go ahead. According to Wikipedia, Elizabeth's personal religious convictions have been much debated by scholars. She was a Protestant, but kept Catholic symbols and downplayed the role of sermons in defiance of a key Protestant belief. Hmm. So why did she go after? So her older sister burned Protestants. Her younger sister was a Protestant, but also kept Catholic symbols. But then she decided to hunt the Catholics that she Kind of, I don't know about the accuracy of anything that I'm reading <laughs> on <anymore>. Wikipedia. <laughs> well, on Wikipedia or on this list. Yeah, this is <laughs> this is crazy. I, I believe that priests were hunted. I don't doubt that, and that priest hunter was probably a job. The Inquisition, all those kinds of things. That I mean, Nazi Germany did it not for priests but for people. So I believe there was probably a profession where they went after priests or religious figures or whatever and and tried to exterminate them and there was probably a group of knights or whatever it might be that were charged with that task that was their profession but yeah i had never heard of a priest hunter before it sounds like some crazy video game concept yeah it's weird (laughs) 
Looks like in, in 1569, there was a major Catholic rising in the north. The goal was to free Mary, which, okay, I'm, I feel like I'm starting in the middle of a book. I'm just going to stop talking. It's <laughs> 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 like, wait a second. I just see there's something about Elizabeth getting excommunicated and being branded wow. a heretic that might have something to do with that. Hmm. A lot of history to that. That was one where you pull a thread and <laughs> the whole thing unravels on you. Yeah, it's it's too big, <laughs> too big to jump into. So let's move on. All right. Well, we'll we'll hit number six here, and um, that is what is known as a whipping boy. Now we've all heard that phrase. I'm not going to be your whipping boy any longer. But these were a true, potentially, uh, job title where. According to this article, kids can be rude, cruel, and quite naughty. In the past, parents and guardians remedied their children's bad behavior with a whipping. However, what if your son had stolen an apple from the pantry, but was also the heir to the throne of your country? You couldn't beat a future king. Instead, you would use a whipping yes, boy. Yes, you could. <laughs> yeah, don't tell anybody. Exactly. So they had, there's some debate, I guess, as to whether such a role was a real job, but <laughs> given <laughs> uh, given what they what they know about other things, they believe this probably was real. Where these royalty families, you know, royal families would have a young boy there. That when the young prince would misbehave, this completely other kid would just get beat. So take all the all the punishment <laughs> that the little prince deserved. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, think, can, you think you got a bad now, kids? Yeah. Try being yeah. a whipping boy. Like, it, uh, that's so it's, wrong. It's horrible. <laughs> Do you think for a second that the prince that misbehaved ever <laughs> felt bad for it? Or was he just like, Pfft. I think that was based on, you know, if this was true, then that was the goal, right? Yeah. You know, hey, you did wrong. I'm going to hurt. I'm going to hurt this kid. Yep. Your, your pal you know, It's kind of like punching your, <laughs> you get into a fight with somebody and you punch their friend instead. Well, that could have been you. And you see, I, I immediately was looking at this and thinking like, okay, so look at, at all the different stories like Game of Thrones, for example, and Joffrey. He's a, he's a prince that didn't care. Like he had no, no concept of having a consequence for poor, yeah, poor yeah, no behavior. Conscience. You know, yeah, no conscious, nothing. So, these young princes stealing apples and, and getting into trouble and knowing that what well, don't matter. They're just going to go beat Charlie over there. You know, whatever his name, <laughs> you know? what do I care? And let him beat him. Grows up to care. become Charlie bucket. Yeah. Well, as long as he's not in a Charlie uh, chocolate factory, I guess, but yeah, they, it says they, here. Yeah, go ahead. Oh, you know, you, you asked the question, there's some debate as to whether this was a real job. Yeah, yeah. It says here, however, given that a physician would often drink his Lord's pee to ascertain whether the nobleman was close to developing diabetes. Uh-oh. <laughs> oh, now, let's talk about Bring that. Bring in Wilford Brimley. What, what, what would you call that that person? <laughs> oh, well, I mean, we've got knocker-uppers, com- computers, whipping boys. What would you call the doctor, um, the physician? That is drinking his lord's pee. His palate is so refined that he can tell. Mm-mm, I, I I can taste a <laughs> taste a hint of the diabetes on there. <laughs> I I could taste it. <laughs> I mean, um, yeah. Now we need a good name for that one. Yeah. 
a, a wine a wine person. What are they? They're a sommelier. Aren't they a sommelier? Is that a word? S- sommelier or something oh, okay. like that, isn't it? I don't know. I can't remember. Sommelier, something like that. It's something like that. Yeah. yeah so, what, what would the diabetes tasting taster job? Yeah, that's a professional <laughs> food taster. Ugh. No, I don't know. I, what, it, now, is that even? That's not even possible. It can't be. Like here, let I don't me know where they're getting your, their sources. Let me taste your pee, just to see if <laughs> if I can. I'm tell. Bear Gryllis. Well, what you're saying is, as far as the Better sources, my own this is coming from a site called strangehistory.net. Whipping boy origins of a royal institution. And so that was there. So hmm. I don't know. It's, you know, that that's what they're going off of there. But yeah, the, the pea tasting doctor, I mean, that is <laughs> the, how that all, doesn't make this list. <laughs> I mean, that should be number one, I would think. I'm not entirely sure that that's still in practice. <laughs> well, I was at my doc last week, had a, my <laughs> annual checkup. First thing he did was had me fill him had, up a yeah. glass. <laughs> yeah. I, I asked if I needed a lab, any lab work. He said, nope, we'll take care of it right here. It just, he, he opened up like it was a Coors Light and threw that down there. And oh. he started swishing it around and said, nope, no diabetes for you. Lay off the sausages, though, would you? Oh, cholesterol's a little high. Yep. <laughs> Have you oh. been taking B vitamins? That's pretty yellow. <laughs> Need to drink some more water. It's a little thick. Sheepers. <laughs> wow. Okay, I, so yeah. that's well, we just found the worst job on the list, right? So worst, far, yeah. So far, worst job. Oh, we need to uh, give some recommendations. And now, digital soup recommendations. Do you like playing games? <laughs> yes. Do you like playing games on an Xbox? Me? Yes, or I do. Or a PlayStation. Um, if you need a headset that's relatively decent priced and sounds good and isn't um, some um, like thing from the bottom of the, the clearance bin at Walmart, you can go <laughs> up one rack at Walmart and get this Plantronics Rig 400HX gaming headset for xbox now they say it's for xbox because it's got an x in the name it will work on your your ps4 mm-hmm. likewise they have a ps4 model that would work just fine on the xbox it's just about colors and stuff like that how do they but, connect so the xbox controller has a uh, a port on the front of it you just plug it right into the controller and you can do all of your your voice and you can hear the whole game in your headset and you can mm. mute your tv it's nice. actually fantastic. Um, so these these if you're if you're interested in still hearing what's going on in the same room, these are pretty good. They have a nice soft cloth um, over the ear, and they're really comfortable. Like you can wear them for a long time. Hmm. Um, as with any headset, depending on the settings that you're using, you can get some vocal bleed over into it. But sure. overall, I've had these for over a year. They are fantastic for the cheap $45 that they are. Plantronics makes pretty good stuff. Mm-hmm. The next uh, step up is their Rig 800 series. So Okay. What are those? Check run? it out. Those, oh, that's a good jo- uh, good question. Um, Rig 800. <laughs> those cost, drum roll, looks like refurb about 80 to 100, brand new 150. Okay. I wonder, I've never heard the quality of something like that. As far as like, hmm. in this application, 
I don't think it would work for something like this for podcasting. Yeah, no, no, no. It, it's but they're specifically gaming. meant for gaming. But gaming, even on your computer, though, they would work just fine. Right. Well, and I've often wondered that because I use an Xbox controller when I'm gaming on my computer almost all the time, and oh, okay. I've often wondered if the port on the controller will work like it does on an Xbox if I was to plug headphones right into it. I bet you it would. I wonder if the computer will work the same. I mean, not that it matters. I've got my full rig set up here anyway, so mm-hmm. it's not hard just to throw headphones and swing the mic over. But the only only potential issue I see with this, um, the Plantronics Rig 400 you recommended, do you ever mm-hmm. lose it and have trouble finding it? I don't. I mean, I mean it camo. is camouflaged. But I don't play out in the forest. <laughs> okay. Well, it's it's kind of it looks gray and black camo. So I thought more oh, urban. Yeah, it's, yeah, that's true. Now I should mm-hmm. mention for eighty bucks you get their Rig five hundred, which is wired. That hundred and fifty dollar pair I was talking about is wireless with Dolby Atmos. So oh, very cool. You're getting a good quality headset there. But yeah. Anyway, pretty yeah, decent. that's that's my recommendation. Nice. What you got? Well, I'm going to recommend another audio drama style mystery podcast. You'll All remember. Right. A little while back, I recommended a show called Rabbits, and it was all about this ancient game that uh, this mystery was unfolding, dangerous stuff happening. Well, this is from the same people. It's a podcast called Tannis. It's actually been going longer than Rabbits has. Um, It's from a company called uh, Minnow Beats Whale Productions, I believe. And um, Tannis, boy, how would I explain this? it draws heavily on the folklore of something called the Eldfen, which is ancient beings that are beneath the earth. They're really they're kind of almost, almost Lovecraftian in, in the way that this stuff is. And there's uh, the, the story focuses on a, a individual who's a reporter named Nick, who he, he reads a, to start everything out, he reads this short story in a magazine that I wanted to look up. I, I think it was Strange Worlds or something like that from way back in like the 40s or 50s or something. And this thing is referenced. He starts looking into it and finding out that, hey, there's people that are into all this crazy stuff and takes you down as a, a real twisty wild ride as far as who can you trust, what's going on, what's real, people disappearing from this world and coming back in other places and other forms and you don't know what's real, what's not. It's one of those kind of mystical um, in terms of like the, these ancient beings, you know, like I said, call of Cthulhu, things like that. Um, But also set in the real world, there's some hacker stuff involved as far as a lot of the research going into it. By and large, if you enjoyed rabbits, you're going to probably enjoy Tannis. It is a little slower paced because it's been going longer. So they kind of, they, they have, especially that first season has a little more drawn out. It takes a little bit more for me. It took a little bit more for me to get into it, into it, but I enjoyed it right away. It got my interest, but I wasn't like, got to hear the next episode until about halfway through the first season, but there's four seasons. Fifth one is apparently on its way, but the podcast, yeah, it's just called Tannis, T-A-N-I-S. And it is very, very well done, very well produced, and just another fun audio drama mystery type podcast to spend a bunch of time in. Is this one of those where the episode ends and you're like, I got to hear the next one? 
It wasn't until about halfway through that first season. Oh, slow build. It was a little bit slower build. And then the the one thing that this one does different than Rabbits, Rabbits was very much like, I've got to know what's what's going to happen. They leave it on a cliffhanger every week. This one, he does stuff where you have to pay attention because there is some jumping around. There's a lot of moving mm. parts with what's happening. Tons of different characters. It's all about this main character, but there's a lot of pieces to the puzzle as to what's going on, what's happening, where he's interviewing these people, interviewing these people, then something's happening to him and, you know, it just, it jumps around, but it is really good. But yeah, after about that halfway point of that first season, I was in that mode. Like I just need to hear what's going to happen next. So oh yeah, the description on the website, this will just kind of give you an idea of the, Lovecraftian feel of it. It says Tannis from the heat and fire from the sand and spire her light to bed, her darkness fled across the sea, eternal she. And it's, it's all about these crazy weird things that are happening. And are they really happening or just people losing their minds? Um, Takes place all over the world, but mostly in the Pacific Northwest, some pretty wild stuff. It's a lot of fun. (laughs) Awesome. Yeah. Sounds like a good one. I enjoyed it. Cool. I mean, I, I binged four seasons of it in a week. Instantly, yeah. Yeah. So how does it compare to like We're Alive? Uh different. On level e- of enjoyment and get key. Level of enjoyment. It's still different. Like We're Alive okay. is you know what you're getting with We're Alive. It's all it's it's these it We're Alive feels much more like an action movie. Mm-hmm where Tannis feels much more like a mystery thriller. Nice. Both, I enjoyed both of them equally well. Both different of them, genres. Yeah, different genre. Both of them produced very well. Nice. It's just that we're alive, you're following characters. I mean, there's no, I'm a reporter investigating this thing. You know what I mean? Yep. We're alive, you're just thrown into the story, which is awesome. Whereas Tannis and Rabbits, ones like shows like this, it's much more of a... Um, you're following this person as they investigate this thing that ends up, they become a part of the thing. You know what I mean? And that happens mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different shows like that. And so the mystery unfolds. It's just a different style. Cool. Both very enjoyable though. Nice. Nice. Well, good recommendation. Now we do have the digital soup Spotify playlist today. I'm adding a classic, mm-hmm. which actually one of my friends pointed out, um, was according to Spotify classic rock, or maybe it was some playlist. Oh yeah, it's the distance by Cake. Yes, <laughs> like how, how was that classic rock? Well, I was came back out, in like seventies and. <laughs> well, the thing is, the nineties are now <laughs> twenty plus years old. You yeah, know? but still, I I don't consider that classic rock though. The distance came out in what ninety six, the year I graduated high school. Yeah. Classic rock, according to Wikipedia, it's generally from mid sixties to the eighties. But what do you so, call at that point then when when does the say 80s 90s and forward turn into classic music? It I think it still is but I don't know. <laughs> you know what it's, I mean? I want to say oh yeah. that's a classic cuz I catch myself saying that a lot but right. I don't put them in the same like time period and classification as I do like Led Zeppelin or The Who. Right. You know or or The Beatles could even be considered classic rock in a lot of their yeah. you know their 70s stuff. You know, mm-hmm. none of that, the doors that, <laughs> yeah, I just don't, don't see nineties bands as that classic rock. No, the, 
I, I, I refuse to because it just means we're getting that much older. But yeah, let's let's fight <laughs> let's fight the hands of time. What um right. so everyone's probably heard this song, but we're gonna add that to the list. Yeah. And what do you have today? Well, before we go on to mine, I just wanted to say, do you realize how like Old the we distance are? well no, the the distance has everyone knows it and they're like, Yeah, the guy, the race car guy. A lot mm-hmm. of people don't really pay attention to the lyrics and how actually sad they are. <laughs> Like this thing is all about this guy who he just can't give up on this girl. And so he's yep. just going to keep trying. I mean, he's haunt- here here's a here's a a part of it says he's haunted by something he cannot define. Bowels shaking earthquakes of doubt, of and, doubt remorse. and remorse. Yeah, assail him, him impale, impale him, him with monster, with monster truck, truck force. force. Yeah. <laughs> and then the the next verse starts, you know, she's hoping in time that her memories will fade. Cause he's racing and plod, uh, pacing and plotting the course. I mean, it's, it's really this, <laughs> it's a great song, but it's also incredibly sad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't get sad when I listen to it though. <laughs> I don't either. It's just like, yeah. Ba, ba, da, da, da. <laughs> Especially when you're about to drive really fast. Right. <laughs> well, he's apparently not actually really fast. Cause he, you know, long ago, the sun went down and someone else left with a cup, but. It's a great true. tune. You can't go wrong with the distance. He's still he's still trying. Yep. Perseverance. That's yeah. what it'll take a hopeful hopeful tack at it. You know? uh, yeah. I, again, I can't consider 1996 classic rock. <laughs> well, you know, is what it it's is. It's like I'm around gonna... the time we graduated. It's not classic rock. Yeah. Classic well, rock existed at that time. <laughs> that that's true. That's true. Yeah. But is it a sliding scale? That becomes a debate. So that is a question. That's a good question. Yeah. I mean, at some point, yeah, at some point, Nickelback's going to be classic rock. Mm-hmm. It is already, technically, because they were <laughs> late <up>. 90s. <laughs> Get out. Well, I went I went back, but not quite that far. I went back to 2003. Um, this is a song called You Stay Here by Willie Porter. Um, this is very much like a folk music kind of thing. But Mm -hmm. this song, I don't know what it is. It just, it has this feel. It reminds me of a movie. I don't know why. And it's, it's all about like the Muppet movie. No, it's kind of, it reminds me of like some UHF. No, some kind of post-apocalyptic story, like where Mm -hmm. obviously there's a guy in his family and he's telling them to stay there. He's going to go look for work. Titanic. Um, yeah titanic all right and then he you know he's going to look for food to bring home for the kids uh going to look for coats to keep them warm and struggling and then yeah i kind of caught that as he's now he's going to go look for bread now he's going to go look for a gun and yep and yeah and he goes to look for guns because he knows where they've buried some and you know we won't go without a fight that kind of a thing It, it very much just has this this very mournful feeling of like this guy struggling to do anything he can to keep his family alive. And if all else fails, he'll, he'll be there with them in the end. They're they're not going to go down without a fight. Just a, and it's when you, when we listen to the road, yeah, the road, that was, did you ever see the road with, I I didn't watch it. I read the book though. The book Uh, was hard to read. Oh oh, my gosh. It was dark, but it's exactly the feeling that type of a movie that that's, I'm glad you said that because that's Mm -hmm. one I was thinking of, but very much that now do you remember when you read that book just side tangent here Mm -hmm. they the author didn't use like grammar right almost like proper um punctuation and stuff like that Mm -hmm. it was just gone yeah there's just 
here's the next line. Somebody's saying the next thing and yep. you're supposed to try to follow it. Yeah, that made it, it was, extra hard, but it was, yeah. Cormac McCarthy wrote that in a very, <laughs> very interesting way. Yeah. Very dismal. But yeah, this song, I mean, it, it's got a little glint of a hopefulness, but it's such a bright, crisp, clean mix too. Yep. Guy's got a great voice, acoustic. It's just him on an acoustic guitar and his voice, mm-hmm. and that's it. So, and it's it kind of predates the existing modern American folk kind of stuff that yeah, you hear. You know, it, it's, it doesn't yeah. follow that pattern. No, and it's it's very much a bridge between like James Taylor folk music and modern indie folk. Mm-hmm. You know, it's kind yep. of this. It, it also has a feeling to me like the sound of it, for some reason, reminds me of nature. I, I don't know mm-hmm. how to explain that, but like. It's a very clear, clear mm-hmm. mix too. Yeah. On top of it, like Pretty this cool is one too. of the most clearly recorded, especially for live acoustic guitars right. I've ever heard. Right. So yeah. Uh, do we have any recommendations from our listeners? We do. John the Mailman gave us a a couple more great recommendations. Uh, first, oh, we're up, not going to take it. Yeah, we're not going to take it. Um, he's recommending no. <laughs> D. Snyder put out an acoustic version of "We're Not Going to Take It." And uh, it's 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 a little different. It's interesting, and but I dig it. I, I'm I'm down for hearing alternate versions of songs by artists and things. So that's his first recommendation. So go check that out on the Super Friends playlist on Spotify. His second one, he's bringing back some Silverchair, and we talked about them not that long ago. And this is a song called "Suicidal Dream" by Silverchair. It's one of the mm-hmm. earlier songs on the track. It's dark. And it's disturbing. It came out of the the minds of these 14, 15 year old kids, but it's actually a, a pretty solid tune. Sweet. Yeah. Kind of one of those power, uh, not a, not a 80s power ballad, but the 90s mm-hmm. alternative version of that grunge type rock version. Yeah. Sure. Powerful song. Power. Speaking of power, roll it. Hey, super friends, as you know, we don't have any fancy sponsors, but we do have some important information for you. So listen up. First, if you want to keep up with everything we're doing here at Digital Soup, including how to find us on social media, all the ways to subscribe, and even how to support the show, head to digitalsouppodcast.com. We appreciate all of your support, including sharing Digital Soup with your friends, but If you want to do more than share, hit that button that says Patreon on the site and help support the show by becoming a Digital Soup Patreon backer. Of course, Dave and I stay busy with our own projects outside of the kitchen as well. Dave is having creativity-fueled discussions designed to motivate, inspire, and encourage you along your own adventures in creativity with the Adventures in Creativity podcast. You'll find him at AICpod.com. And if you're interested in some amazing sci-fi stories from years gone by, I've got you covered with Yesterday's Sci-Fi. These are amazing, classic sci-fi stories in an audiobook format. So what are you waiting for? Head on over to YesterdaySciFi.com for all the details. Man, that's a lot, huh? Well, just remember this. DigitalSoupPodcast.com, YesterdaySciFi.com, and AICPod.com. Now then... Thank you again, all of you that are listening, for taking time to join us every week, and let's get back to the show. Unlimited power. (laughs) The real ultimate power. I was waiting for you to do the He-Man voice. 
<laughs> By the power of Grayskull. <laughs> I have the power. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm going to shoot a cat with some special beams out of my sword. He'll turn yeah. into battle cat. <laughs> Let's get back into jobs that are no longer around. Mm-hmm. So number five, sandal bearers. Yeah. Are we sure that that doesn't exist anymore? I feel yeah. like somebody's bearing sandals somewhere. Well, I feel like maybe it's not even sandals, but it's like could be assistant, like, like an assistant. Yeah. So sandal bearers carried the sandals of their uh, their superiors in early cultures, such as ancient Egypt or feudal Japan. They had often washed the feet of their superior as well. Now they according kiss to this, the butt. it says. <laughs> yeah. Ugh, probably drink their pee to determine if they had diabetes. <laughs> it wasn't as bad as of a role as it sounds. I don't even know if that was a full sentence. I'm apologizing right now. In feudal <laughs> Japan, sandal bears often rose to higher statuses from the seemingly low position. For example, Toyotomi Hideyoshi became imperial regent of Japan, having unified the islands through bloody conquest. See, and he started as a sandal bear. Yeah. Uh, it says the exact nature of the status um, of sandal bears in Egypt is shrouded in mystery. Um, was their depiction in reliefs and other art a tribute to their higher status in society or merely a reflection of the master's power? We may never know. Carry my sandals, boy. You wonder. It's probably these, an honor, though. Probably an honor, but you also wonder how often these sandal bearers or, or personal caretakers, you could say, ended up overthrowing rule because they mm. would have been... The, 15% is my guess. 15? I, I was thinking like 17.8, but, you know. Mm, it's a little give too high for me. A little too, a little too rich for your blood there. But <laughs> yeah, No, yeah. I, I just wonder Can't because commit. they're going to be the individual that's there constantly, you know, with that ruler to basically wait on them hand and foot. They're their personal assistant, essentially. As such, they're going to be in the room when important decisions are made and all kinds of stuff like that, and they're going to have a lot of knowledge. You wonder how often they just listened to everything and just decided, I know how I can get rid of this guy <laughs> and just did it. <laughs> and suddenly they're like, I'm taking power. <laughs> That's right. Could be. Could be. So what I'm going to ask you a question here. What do Walt Whitman, Thomas Jefferson, Ambrose Bierce, John Kellogg, Warren G. Harding, and Mark Twain all have in common? Well, you threw Warren G in there, kind of threw me off. <laughs> Warren G. Harding. Were they all regulators? <laughs> <laughs> they all mounted up. Did you say Nate Dog? <laughs> yeah. No, not Mark Twain. I said Nate Dog. No, John oh. Kellogg, it was. <laughs> I said Nate Dog. <laughs> what does Shaq, Zaboomafu, T Pain all have in common? Yes. I have no idea, other than they're all dead. Yeah. So basically, um, they all served the same job. Mm. And as young men and boys, they were all what were called printer's devils, which is number four. Uh, I guess it was a very common apprenticeship for young boys until the end of the 19th century. So what is a printer's devil? There's no, That's what I want to know. Yeah, there's no special or unique set of tasks for a printer's devil. Like many apprentices, they were just errand boys did anything their you know bosses told them to do essentially while observing the master's work to learn the craft the disappearance of the role has more to do with the death of traditional printing and the decline in the apprentice model of 
career progression. I don't even know if I apprentice model of a career progression, but pretty cool job title. And it sounds like basically they assisted in a print shop learning how to become a master printer. I wouldn't want the devil in my title. No. No. What do you do for a living? I'm a printer devil. Sounds really cool (laughs) until they're like, oh, what do you do as a printer devil? Well, actually, I print newspapers and I lay out fonts. (laughs) I (laughs) I get the coffee and I (laughs) carry the sandals of the supervisor. Yeah, my boss, uh, he tells me to go get that plate over there and I bring him some crackers and tea (laughs) at nine. (laughs) I mean, it's such a cool name, like a metal sounding name for what is really probably a a pretty (laughs) lame town job. Probably. But I mean... I'll say this. There is, we talked about it last week, I think, in, in the way that some of these old newspapers, the fonts, the writing style, there is an art form to that. And to know how to do all of that would be pretty amazing. Mm, yeah, that's very true. So, I mean, there, there is that. I mean, I, I'd, I'd take that. But most of these people, it was interesting, they ended up being published authors at one point. So mm. kind of one leads to the next, I suppose. One leads to the next. So this next one, mm-hmm. have you ever worried that the walkways in your palace smell bad? If so, you need to try an herb strewer. Isn't that a baseball guy? Yeah. Herb baseball strewer. announcer. <laughs> herb strewer <laughs> announcing the Mets game. He's coming up to bat now. Herb strewer here for you. <laughs> this it's next like, line gotta, cracks me up. London stank. And unfortunately for the royal family, their main residences have always been in this stanktropolis. <laughs> Kings and queens tend not to enjoy the terrible smells emanating from open sewers and mountains of animal dung. Oh. <laughs> so they came up with a specialized role to alleviate this melodorious, melod- malodorous situation. <laughs> I can't read. I need... <laughs> malodorous. I just, that sounds I, like a... That sounds like a... Uh, like a some kind of warrior from olden times. Yeah, or Call, something. Summon Maladorius. Something in the blood in Star Wars that gives you Jedi powers. <laughs> Midichlorians. I, I just, I love the fact that they wrote this in a way that brings light to something I've often wondered. Now, I am fascinated yeah. with castles in medieval times and in knights and all of that stuff. But you know, every city and every village and castle had to just be one stanky oh oh, just terrible you've got all these lords and they're having these big feasts they're having huge piles of meat and all this rotting foods and you know no they're making beef in there there's no doubt about it yeah there's no plumbing plus you've got all of the peasants and everything else that you know the the servers and everyone else that lives in that castle you know it had to be just (laughs) god awful well they also had to have a job of somebody taking that refuse out he probably he probably got made fun of by the whipping boy. Your job sucks. <laughs> yeah. The only one that couldn't laugh at him was the pea taster. Yeah. He had to gargle at him when he, he was like, by. I wish I could just take <laughs> out the trash. <laughs> can I spit this in that? Can I spit this out in there? <laughs> um, so here's another solely female role. The herb strewer. Herb strewer. What's the proper pronunciation? I don't I'd go with herb. Um, herb they would do just as described they would scatter herbs and sweet smelling petals throughout they they would mask it yeah they they also (laughs) throw some potpourri around yeah basically that's it they play a they'd also play a prominent role in coronation ceremonies leading the procession by spreading herbs and petals before the king or queen to be made 
to to be oh, I can't read <laughs> the as they made to their be. way towards the throne. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why it takes me a long time to record yesterday's sci-fi. <laughs> but the role was eventually cut for budgetary concerns. We can't afford all these pedals and straw. <laughs> we can't afford this. Back to the stank. <laughs> yeah. Fester in it. Oh. The, la- the, fir- <laughs> the last lady to, stra- to strew herbs was Anne Fellows. If the position was ever resto- restored, the first unmarried woman descendant from the Fellows... Ugh, I can't read. So that's interesting. If, if say the queen of England right now said, you know what? We've got enough money. We're bringing back an herb strewer. The <laughs> first person that could lay claim to that position automatically is the first unmarried woman that descended from this Anne fellows. Yikes. Crazy. So is this why we, we have people throwing flower petals and stuff? Maybe. I mean, you know, yeah, weddings, weddings, or <laughs> all the romantic guys that are spreading out flower petals and leading to the bedroom. <laughs> yeah. Like, I'm trying to cover it up because yeah. I went to the bathroom before you got <laughs> it. Ladies, beware! <laughs> if you yeah. see that, it's get not your romantic. Going. <laughs> yep, he's Check got our closets. Ourselves a genuine herb strewer over here. <laughs> yeah. This guy is a king of stanktropolis. <laughs> yep, yep. Well, call, they call him the London gutter. oh that's terrible Uh, so number two i don't even know exactly (laughs) how to number two yeah i don't know how to pronounce this the mersmacus um mersmacus mersmacus yeah (laughs) m-u-r-s-m-a-c-k-a-s it's another entry from sweden a nation that pioneered gendered equality long before most other cultures so in this Scandinavian country, both sexes were allowed to be equally miserable, it says. They're equal opportunity. So a bricklayer's job is hard enough without having to uh, carry all the heavy pallets or buckets of mortar to the wall they're building. So why not get an unmarried mother who cannot find work anywhere else to do the job? <laughs> so you had kids out of wedlock. You are now going to essentially carry pallets and buckets of mortar for the bricklayers. And, um, yikes. Yeah, that's brutal. I mean, that's, that's like, uh, it reminds me of in the, in the movies. And, you know, when you read about how the pharaohs used to have their slaves carry, you know, to build the pyramids or whatever. So did they force these women to do this job or was this like, yeah. Hey, this is the only job you can have. I don't know. It's uh, what it says here. It's exactly what the Swedes thought during the rapid growth of Stockholm, Gothenburg and other cities from the late 18th to early 20th centuries. Um, however, as social changes and women's liberation took place, women in Sweden had more choices as to where they could work. Sounds like this was just one of those jobs that one of the few jobs they could get if they were unmarried and had kids and needed to find a way to earn money and take care of their families. This was one of the few ways they could do that possibly. Hmm. So maybe not, maybe not technically forced like slave labor, but essentially because of lack of other opportunity. <laughs> yeah. Forced by society, basically. Right. You have yeah. Nothing else. Yeah. Wow. Crazy though. Well, let's get into the number one job that has disappeared. <laughs> you can't hold a candle to this one. <laughs> the children who held candles or torches on dark streets in Victorian London were known as link boys. Yeah. I already hate this. 
Um, this is supposedly the derivation. This is the supposed derivation of the saying "can't hold a candle to," uh-huh. which is a way of expressing inferiority to another person or object. Before London had streetlights, every few yards on almost every roadway, a link boy was paid by passing patrons to pick up a flaming link and lead the way to wherever the customers were going. To make a little extra money, link boys sometimes worked for thieves and muggers. The boys were tasked with leading unwitting customers down dark alleys where they would be robbed. Wow. I, I'm not okay. I, I'm not seeing the what what am I missing? Link. Why is that just a name for torches that they used? I, I think so. It said every few yards they'd pick up a flaming um, link. Yeah, a flaming link. So I guess a link of like a log, like hmm. a stick with a burning stick. Is that what yeah. they call a link? Maybe, yeah. Legend that's of Zelda? I, yeah, that's what I was wondering. Like, is that princess mm. just a flaming log? Yeah, I don't know. Well, Link Probably. was the hero, I guess. But. Yeah, gold hot logs. Mm-hmm, I'm a Link boy. <laughs> I don't know. Of hot logs and laying bricks, let's go back to the herb strewers. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know. Out of this list, <laughs> the one that that did not make the list, somehow, I mean, this is absurd that it didn't, how does the pea tasting doctor not make this list? Yeah, I feel like that was put totally in the wrong. Like, like they just kind of threw that in the story. Like, oh, by the way, <laughs> yeah. doctors they drank pee. So right. Yeah, Instead, that. I mean, Link Boys. I get why it's there. Number one job that disappeared. You know, these these kids would have to basically run and you know constantly be on the go, lighting the way for whoever. And then they would make good money by leading people down dark alleys to be robbed and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, that doesn't, I, I hate to use the phrase and, and the pun that's in the link boys description of can't hold a candle to, but a link boy doesn't hold a candle to a pea tasting doctor yeah. try, trying to seek so, out diabetes. I completely agree. I think out of the top 10, well, maybe if we were looking at top 10 worst jobs, yeah, <laughs> disappeared. That could be, yeah. This yeah. would be on there because I don't think I don't think the the computer one is is bad because look at what it contributed. Right. Whipping boy would suck. Yeah. Uh. Yeah. Oh, they have another link here. 10 jobs from the early 1900s that totally sucked. Horse <laughs> urine collector is in there. What was? <laughs> Horse urine collector. Oh, jeez. <laughs> That's fun. Terrible. Oh, we might have to use that list next time around. <laughs> we'll save it. We don't we'll want people it. to get too too uh, bombarded with terrible jobs, unless they no. start thinking we're Mike Rowe and dirty jobs or something. Yeah. Someone's got to do it. <laughs> Someone's got to do it. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, this list, uh, you know, like you said, there's a few on here that led to some advances and others that were kind of just mind blowing, but mm-hmm. I don't know, it was a fun list. So we'll have to do some digging. What we should, we should figure out what we want to do next week. If you want to do something uh, entertainment based, we haven't done a movies list in a while. Yeah, we could do a movies list. That sounds good. I'll find some, we'll find I, I, some movies based list for next week. I do want to throw one out here though, that yeah. I just thought about. And I remember when we, we talked about doing this topic last week, mm-hmm. I thought immediately of the phone operators, you know, the phone, the switchboard operators, mm. That job is gone because, you know, as a lot of jobs disappear when technology kind of takes over and yep. makes life easier. The computer job is one of them. Yep, yep. But the switchboard operator, you always used to see those, you know, the images from it where you'd have all these, I think it was mostly ladies that would mm-hmm. be in front of these big old switchboards and they're just, you know, somebody would call in, 
you have to call the operator. You tell them what you want number you want to connect to, and yep. they actually would take and and wire. Yep. You know, from one connection to the other with like a big jack. Yep. Be, to connect people's phone calls, and then as soon as automatic switching became a thing, mm-hmm. Gonzo. My mom. I don't remember that. the last time I called the operator. No, my my mom was a switchboard operator here locally um, until just before I was born. Uh, she left that job just before having me, you know, she was pregnant with me, but month or a couple months before having me. And, and, um, by the time she was able to get back to work, that position was just gone. Didn't exist anymore. Yep. Craziness. That is crazy. Yeah. (laughs) And it it was a cool looking position though. I mean, like you see the pictures of that. It's like, oh man, look at that. Well, you there's something about that, having that nice, straight line order of all those like <laughs> electrical jacks and connections. That's like, yep. Oh, cool. You can see cool. it in, uh, on display multiple times. I know through some of the early mid seasons of the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, that television okay. show, um, she works for a, a stretch of time as a switchboard operator in there. Mm. It's, it's pretty interesting, but yeah. And that shows, it's not about that. I mean, it's a, it's about a female comedian back in the what fifties or whatever, forties or fifties, but sure. Good show. Well shot, beautifully shot, but fun show, nice. but not kid friendly, but yeah, she's, she's a switchboard operator in there. That's one of the last times I remember seeing it portrayed even on, on television. Mm. My yeah, wife was watching it. So Nice, nice. I mean, I, I, would never, right. I would never watch something like no, that. No, no, never. <laughs> it's definitely somebody else. Right. Anyway, listeners, we sure do appreciate having you listen. Yes. And stick around because next time we're going to do uh, some entertainment topic on yes. our top 10 list. So Something fun, yeah. Yeah. Have an awesome week. We'll catch you next time. Take care, guys. Thank you for joining us and come back next week for another cracking episode of The Digital Soup Podcast. This has been a Digital Soup production.